Get ready to hear the truth about America on a show that's not immune to the facts with your host, Dan Bongino. So um, where do we start? You know, I was just uh, talking with Joe before the show started. We do that. It's interesting. They always tell you again, never talk about what you were talking about before the show. Nobody cares. No, I, I think people do care. I think it's relevant. And, um, you know, Joe and I aren't feeling too great about the state of the country today. And I think neither are you. I mean, we watched an actual tyrant yesterday, Joe Biden. Just take the robe off and show us the goods, man. Not hiding it anymore. There's no more masks. There's no more, you know, Democrats pretending they're not full-blown totalitarian tyrants. They're, just, they're not, there's no effort to even hide it anymore. And sooner or later, tyrants and totalitarians get to that point where they say, you know what, we've reached the point where we, uh, we have enough power in the media, academia, the entertainment community, big tech and money. We don't need to hide it. They flash America with the grotesque totalitarian nudity. Happened yesterday. Joe's not happy about it. I'm not happy about it. Guy walked in this morning with his head down. But um, there's a lot to talk about on this. Going to be a rough show today, but a necessary one. If you're looking for a firearm that's easy to transport, you got to check out the U.S. Survival Rifle from Henry Repeating Arms. It's a portable rifle you can put together and take apart in a few minutes. And then when you're not using it, you can store the parts in the little case it comes in. It's so small, it can be stored anywhere, in a go bag, anywhere. It's light enough to carry everywhere. Comes in black and two different camo patterns. You can pick one up for three to $400, depending on the finish. You can watch a few videos at henryusa.com survival. And while you're there, be sure to order their free catalog. Henry makes more than 200 rifles, shotguns, and revolvers in the role made in America, backed by a lifetime satisfaction guarantee and the best customer service in the business. Go to their website. It's henryusa.com, and be sure to order a free catalog. They'll send it with free decals on a list of dealers in your area. That's henryusa.com for a free catalog and decals and to see the Henry U.S. Survival Rifle. Joe, it is Friday. Yep, it is. A somber weekend coming up. So, uh, yeah, well, here we go, folks. It's Friday. Yeah. Thank you, buddy. It's not Joe's typical Friday message you've been used to for years now, but, um, I think everybody understands this day mm-hmm. before 9-11 uh, means a lot to Joe, means a lot to me, means a lot to this, uh, this crew here. So we'll, we'll get into a lot of that. There's a lot to uh, get through today. But folks, yesterday, after watching Joe Biden go full tyrant and um, claim powers he doesn't have at all, he does this often, and mandate a vaccine nationwide for companies with 100 employees or more, the backlash was severe. And uh, I thought to myself, not to make just a weird analogy here, but I'm not even kidding. I, I, I noticed yesterday that The Matrix is back. The movie The Matrix, if you're familiar with the movie The Matrix, uh, you know, human beings live in, in this matrix, this computer simulation of their lives. It's run by these machines and it's not real. And you think you're alive, but you're not. You're really living a computer simulation. So the trailer came out yesterday, caused a lot of buzz on the internet. And I thought, surely... We must be living in an alternate reality, too. Maybe the Matrix is real. You know, maybe we're all plugged into the Matrix and we don't know. I'm thinking because this can't be real. This can't be reality where we live in the greatest constitutional republic ever, where our prosperity, freedoms, everything we've been granted, the greatest life ever to be lived is to be lived right now at this time in America. There is no way people are willing to throw this all away like that. This surely is an alternate reality. 
And I thought, you know, with 9-11, this happened 20 years ago. I remember it like it was yesterday. I'll tell you a little story about that at the end that I, you know, still kind of rings my bell a little bit. But I thought, like, are we living in some alternate reality? Like, are the machines controlling our kids? Because we were brutally attacked on 9-11 in the most savage manner possible. People jumped hundreds of stories to their death, were burned alive by jet fuel. We were attacked by Islamic radicals. There's no disputing that. They celebrated it. They celebrated it, the Islamic radicals that did it. They didn't hide it. They opened their robe, too, and flashed us with their grotesquities. They told us. And yet now we've reached a point 20 years later, campus reform, hat tip to them, did this video on a college campus, and they asked some kids about 9-11, and apparently the kids' greatest concern is, yeah, you know, we don't want to stigmatize anyone. Stigmatize anyone? What, terrorists? You don't want to stigmatize terrorists? This is insane. Check this out. When talking about 9-11, what do you think we should avoid? I think we should, like, avoid a lot of more gruesome facts. Avoid talking about its roots in Islam because that that was, a like, a extremist group. Um, I think that um, the 9-11 attack should be taught in a way that doesn't really target, like, more, like, who did it, but, like, more like how we can like move forward and like different like healing processes that we can go through to like make everything like, you know, good again. So you don't think it's important to know who is responsible? I do think it's important to know who is responsible, but I also think it should be noted that like their religion is not the only thing. Avoiding kind of placing blame because when you get to the more like specific factors that were at play you know it kind of opens the opportunity for things like islamophobia and ideas of american exceptionalism i mean do we have to are we condemned to relive this over and over and over again history i mean why teach a serious question i'm not kidding what's the point of teaching history history meaning you probably weren't alive for a lot of it some of you you may have been but the majority of people have not been alive there are no nosferatu vampires here right the majority like 100% have not been alive forever we have no omnipotent omniscient beings alive today okay so what's the point of teaching history if there's no point in learning from it and these these students and all these other kids have to actually see it themselves we do you understand what happened that day Listen, they're young kids. I'm not, I'm not piling on them. Everybody's confused when they're young. I mean, if we were, seriously, if we were all on videotape and stuff we were doing in college, it would be slightly embarrassing too. I don't so much blame them. I blame the teachers. And are some of the parents teaching them this? Do you know what it was like to be alive that day? I mean, the, the, the existential fear? I'm telling you. I'll tell a little bit of the story later, but I remember being in the Melville office of the Secret Service and people like running down the hallway screaming, you know, the White House blew up. You know, Times Square's under attack. Everybody thought everything. There was a, a story. I'm not, and listen, I'm not trying to be, this is, there's nothing funny about this, but my uncle, uh, God rest his soul, he lived in Dothan, Alabama. And he was telling my father the story that they, that, uh, that somebody, that somebody in the store in a, um, they were in a store, a grocery store. And, uh, Somebody had said to someone else in the store that they bombed Afghanistan and somebody in the store heard they bombed Sam's, Sam's Club. So somebody put over the thing in the grocery store. They bombed Sam's. It's not funny. Like they were bombing Sam's Club in Dothan, Alabama, whatever it was. 
that was happening that day. Everybody alive that day remembers like the fear was just, I mean, it was like a, a, a rainstorm you couldn't get away from. I'll never forget looking in the parking lot of um, the JFK office of the Secret Service when we went into JFK Airport to get closer to the city and, and seeing this, this agent friend of mine, I'll leave his name out of it, obviously, with a, with a uh, Remington 870 shotgun, you know, loading rounds into the tube with his, um, with his Secret Service body armor on with the, uh, with the, with the jacket over the top, thinking, you, we, we never did that. You don't load weapons in public. I remember the guys telling me the story of the training center, the uh, Rowley Training Center, the Secret Service Training Center. The armory handing out MP5s to secure the facility in the, in the middle of uh, Prince George's County. Do we, are we condemned to relive this over and over again? Are these teachers not teaching these kids who attacked us and why? You know, I, I ask you, and I, this is an important question. If these kids, if their assertions here, these young men and women are true, that oh, we shouldn't focus so much on why they did it, where else does that work? You know, if you're in a business, right, and, and, and you produce widget A and widget A does something special and widget A doesn't do that, fails and costs the business billions of dollars. Do you just move on and say, let's not see what happened, folks, or why it happened? Of course you do. You have to find out what happened, what went wrong and why. Why do we do that? We do that so it doesn't happen again. People who have 0-16 seasons in the NFL, don't you, oh, let's just move on. At the end of the year, they go, where did we fail? Ah, quarterback, cornerback, linebacker, running back was soft. And they diagnose it and fix it. And I'm not knocking these kids. They're, they're confused. Every, really, it's easy to pile on. It's the teachers more. But are we condemned to have to relive this? Is this what humanity's come to? If we don't personally experience all of the scourges of humankind again that we're condemned to repeat it because we'll do nothing to stop it because we don't want to know what happened to the young men and women who listen to my show. Thank you. You're always welcome here, but you don't want to relive that. Trust me. You do not want to relive that. Wasn't like being in a movie. It was real. It was real. And nobody knew who was dead, how many were dead, when it was going to stop. You don't want to relive that. You don't want to relive driving home on the Long Island Expressway the day after from work with not a car on the road. Not a car on the road. I remember it. I remember it well. I was young back then, single, and was a young agent. And, um, because all of the cars, our Secret Service's entire vehicle fleet was in Seven World Trade Center. That's where our office was. Our whole fleet was destroyed. We had no government cars. So they came out to Long Island, the office I was in, and they said, hey, we need your cars. We had about, I don't know, 15 of them. So they said, Dan, you, we got government cars in the Secret Service. So you got to give your car up. You got to drive your personal car. So I had a Corvette. I had to drive my Corvette to work. Yeah, poor you, right? Yeah. But um, I remember driving home and it was, I'm not talking figuratively. There was literally no one on the Long Island Expressway. They call the Long Island Expressway the world's largest parking lot. 
because there were traffic jams 24 hours a day. There was no one on the road. It was like something out of I Am Legend, Will Smith or something. And I never forget being in my Corvette doing like 110 miles an hour going home. I wasn't trying to be a smart guy. I just really was, t- I was tired. I, needed- I know it sounds dumb. I just don't try to read into it too much. But I blew by a, uh, a uh, Nassau County police officer and I was expecting to get pulled over. And I guess he figured I was a agent or a cop because I was on the road. And I remember he just waved. I'm not kidding. He just waved out the window. I didn't wave back. I was already gone by then. You don't want to live through that. You don't want to live through that, man. I can't say that enough. You do not want to live through that. You know, I thought like this alternate reality though we're in, like this is just insane how, how, how we've just divorced ourselves so far from the principles that have gotten us to this era of prosperity we're in now. I thought about it again, like here, like are, are, it's like there's some kind of like machine controlling these doctors. Like I read this story just the news this morning, but this can't possibly be true. Texas hospital system bans ivermectin for COVID patients as their families demand a quote wonder drug. So for as long as I've been alive, doctors have been allowed to prescribe legal drugs on and off label. Now the left wants the story both ways. This is the deadliest pandemic in human history that requires exceptional measures, vaccine mandates, mask your kids, shut down businesses, shut down schools. But on the other hand, the left wants the story. It's not serious enough that doctors should be able to try off label medicines like ivermectin for SARS-CoV-2. Which story is it? Again, because one of those is an alternate reality. Is it not? Am I missing something? One of those is not reality. Either we're in the deadliest pandemic in human history that requires us to subvert the Constitution, or it's really not that deadly, and, and, and doctors should be allowed to do stuff to just like, kind of handle it. Both of those realities can't be true at the same time. If it's so deadly, doctors should be allowed to try stuff, right? You can't have it both ways. No, no, don't try any. Let everybody die. I thought you just said this was the craziest thing ever. No, no, but we don't want doctors to do anything about it. Here's another one. I, I thought, like, are we living in, like, the, 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 you know, this machine-controlled environment? Are they controlling the media, too? Do they not realize we can see this stuff? Here is a dreadful, pathetic human being who pretends to be a journalist. Yamich Alcindor, who's been a constant source of unintentional humor on this show. Here's Yamich, who claims to be a journalist hilariously. This was her a while ago when Donald Trump was in office. This is an actual tweet. President Trump says he'll override the governors if they don't follow the new CDC guidance and open places of worship this weekend. Then she adds, she's a big 10th Amendment believer here now, folks. Context, the 10th Amendment of the Constitution says powers not delegated to federal government are reserved to the states. So just to be clear, again, principles check. Yamich, it's like, well, Donald Trump, open up the churches, open them up. No, no, you can't do that. The 10th Amendment. 10th Amendment, definitely the 10th Amendment. Yet here's Yamich yesterday. Biden goes after GOP governors without saying names, saying, talk about bullying schools. If these governors won't help us beat the pandemic, I will use my powers as president to get them out of the way. He added federal government will restore 100 percent of pay for anyone targeted over mandates. Where's the mention of the uh, 10th Amendment there? Of course not. 
asking these people to be genuine? Come on. Screw your freedom. Screw your freedoms is right. Screw your freedoms is right, Arnold. That's how that's how Arnold actually feels. Yeah. People are hard. I'm telling you, folks, I swear. Sometimes I wish we were living in a matrix so I could unplug and get back to living in a sane world. Folks, there's no matrix. You know. There's no matrix. These people want to be lied to. They enjoy being lied to. They relish being lied to. People like Yamich, people like these students, they like it. They enjoy it. The lies, the lies, the endless lies. They propagate. Nah, not the students. I don't want to put them in there. They're young and impressionable. They'll learn through experience. Doctors, they want to be lied to over and over again. How do I know this? The Biden administration has already acknowledged repeatedly that they cannot do this vaccine mandate. They have implied it. They've directly said it. They've said the president's role is not to give medical advice, and they are going to have real problems with this uh, vaccine mandate. Two I see right away, by the way, before I get into video from it. Two I see immediately. Number one, they're going to run into RIFRA, Religious uh, Freedom Restoration Act. Anytime the government does something that may infringe on people's religious, uh, religious freedoms, which a vaccine mandate may, there are some people who may have some sincere religious objection to putting a therapeutic in there, but they may. They may not. Some may. So in order for the government to infringe on this, don't ever forget RIFRA. RIFRA says this. The government can infringe on your religion if, if, it, uh, if it does it in a way that um, does it through the least restrictive means. And there's a compelling government interest. Sorry, almost blanked there for a minute. You caught that. It's got to be. Well, obviously, they'll meet the first requirement. Stopping coronavirus. You can, you're can. you not going to have a problem in court saying stopping the spread of a coronavirus is a compelling government interest, right? I get that. But the second part of this, is it done through the least restrictive means? In other words, if the government is going to do something like mandate you take a vaccine, or, or try to push a vaccine, I should say. It has to do with through the least restrictive means. A national mandate demanding everybody in a company over 100 or more get vaccinated is not the least restrictive means, folks. It's not even close. So on RIFRA, I think they're going to get smoked in court. The second area they're going to have problems, the 14th Amendment. There is no way the Equal Protection Clause of the 14th Amendment hasn't been violated here. Think about it. You're an employee in Oklahoma for a company with less than 100 people, the law doesn't apply to you, Joe Biden's edict from OSHA. But if you're an employee with a company over 100 people in New York, no, it applies to you. That equal equal protection, not equal protection, equal protection. The whole idea of equal protection is protection's equal. So RIFRA applies to one, not the other. How does that work exactly? There's no way this thing stands in court. I'll predict right now there'll be a national injunction shortly on this. No way it stands. That's the good news. But again, getting back to my point that we're not in a matrix. People want to be lied to, especially the media and the public. They have already acknowledged that they can't do this. I'm going to get to this in a second. I've got a bunch of videos showing you first what Biden did and then how Biden said the exact opposite. And nobody on the left appears to be calling him out at all. As he showed 
With cyber attacks on the rise, protecting your data security is more important than ever. So why is Congress considering a law that puts your data at greater risk of being hacked and exposed to foreign networks? The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill shifts billions in consumer spending to less secure payment networks, all so that corporate megastores can make bigger profits. Don't let Durbin Marshall steal your data. Visit handsoffmyrewards.com security and tell your senators to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Paid for by Electronic Payments Coalition. Um, okay, getting back to the show. These people want to be lied to. The Biden administration has acknowledged that they can't do this, but they did it anyway. So he is gone now, full tyrant, uh, Joe Biden. Just remember, in the last 24 hours, as Tom Elliott pointed out in his social media account, in the last 24 hours, he's opened his robe to tyranny, and we're seeing it, and it is disgusting. He's fired a bunch of uh, nonpartisan appointees. Now, they are partisans, but the positions are nonpartisan on military boards, Joe Biden. He has sued the state of Texas for protecting babies with heartbeats. Um, and he has enacted an unlawful, totally unconstitutional violation of RIFA and the 14th Amendment vaccine mandate. And during his speech, he made a point to tell you because he's gone full tyrant and he's not hiding it anymore. Hey, folks, this isn't about your freedoms anymore. No, no, those are his words. Check this out. This is not about freedom or personal choice. It's about protecting yourself and those around you. The people you work with, the people you care about, the people you love. My job as president is to protect all Americans. So tonight, I'm announcing that the Department of Labor is developing an emergency rule to require all employers with 100 or more employees that together employ over 80 million workers to ensure their workforces are fully vaccinated or show a negative test at least once a week. You want to uh, take a listen to how tyrants sound? That's it right there. That is the exact same language. People who hate liberty and freedom, tyrants, socialists, and totalitarians have used throughout sentient human being history. Oh, it gets worse. I want you to listen to this. I want you to keep in mind. This is a producer Jim from the radio show brought this up this morning. We do a little rundown call before the shows. I, I swear on my life, I was thinking the same thing as he said it. When you're listening to this clip of this tyrant, Joe Biden next, a senile fool in the White House, corruptocrat. I want you to keep in mind, who the hell does this guy think he's talking to? Who does he think he's talking to? being lectured by a corrupt, lying, plagiarizing, loser, horrible human being, being lectured by this guy, who the f does he think he's talking to? He's running out of patience with you, Joe Biden. Go F yourself. You hear that? And yeah, I mean every word of that. You don't talk to me like that. You're an employee of the federal government. Yes, you're in a powerful position. You are an employee of the federal government. This is not a monarchy. You want to be a dictator or a monarch? Then get the hell out of the country and go find a different country. Listen to this tyrant talking to us like we're his, his kids. God forbid you were Hunter Biden. Check this out. What more is there to wait for? What more do you need to see? We've made vaccinations free, safe, and convenient. The vaccine is FDA approval. Over 200 million Americans have gotten at least one shot. 
You've been patient, but our patience is wearing thin. And your refusal has cost all of us. Patience is wearing thin? I'll say again, who the hell do you think you're talking to? You corrupt, senile old man. Who do you think you're talking to? This is America. This is a Nazi Germany. You don't speak to people like we're your subjects. Your patience is running thin. You can take your patience and ram it up your caboose. Your patience is running thin. You're a senile, corrupt old man, a loser. Matt Walsh described him perfectly yesterday. The bag of rotting oatmeal. Perfect. And believe me, it's nothing to do with age. People with age deserve respect. They lived chronologically longer than you have experienced more. It's amazing that a guy this man's age has learned nothing. It's an embarrassment to people his age who've used their age, wisdom, and experience to teach and educate the younger generation, people like me. What a disgrace. All right. As I said, folks, he's gone full tyrant now. This is the language of a tyrant as well. Here's Joe Biden, because there are some governors, Ron DeSantis, Greg Abbott, I hear Christy Noem's involved too. 14 governors around the country are going to object to this vaccine mandate. And I'm telling you, they are going to win on either 14th Amendment grounds or RIFRA. Mark my words, there will be an injunction. There is no way this will stand. Everybody needs to resist. Stand, stand fast. There will be an injunction on this. I'll be stunned if there isn't. Here he is again, the language of a tyrant. He wants to get those government governors out of the way. How, Joe? You, what are you going to do? You going to take them in the basement, Goodfellas style, bring them out in a body bag? What, what are you talking about, Joe? Tell me again how this isn't the language of tyrants. Again, who the hell does this guy think he's talking to? Check this out. If they'll not help, if these governors won't help us beat the pandemic. I'll use my power as president to get them out of the way. So you going to do hire uh, the guys who took care of Joe Pesci at the end of Casino? What is this guy, a mobster? Who talks like this? No less from a coward. A senile coward. I mean every word of that. A coward. He is a coward. He's always been a coward. And he's a liar. A documented, plagiarizing liar. A man with not a shred of dignity. Who the hell are you talking to, man? Folks, this fight's coming to your door. I've warned you in the past, and I'll warn you again. You may think each time, oh, it's just this, it's just that. I got something on that coming later, too. It's not just anything. It's just your freedom. And everybody better wake up to that soon. This fight is at your door. You take it now, or you can take it later, but it's only going to get worse. But just to show you how phony these people are and why they're going to lose in court, Bill de Blasio, the communist mayor of New York City, who's destroyed the city I grew up in and love, de Blasio has a COVID vaccination uh, uh, requirement, too. You have to show proof of your COVID vaccine for indoor entertainment. But did you see this, his emergency executive order? Did you notice there were many exemptions? Oh, look. Look who's exempted, fellas. Check it out. A non-resident performing artist not regularly employed by the covered entity while they're in the covered premises for purposes of performing. Oh, so let me just get this straight. Oh, professional athletes, too. So if you're a pro athlete 
or if you're a Hollywood type, you are not covered by the New York City vaccination mandated. There's you're okay. You're okay, folks. Again, explain me the explain to me again the equal protection clause. Yeah, it's not a federal law, it's a New York City law. I get it. But explain to me again, RIFRA, it's a compelling government interest. It's so compelling, this government interest, that it doesn't apply to athletes or entertainers. Apparently, it doesn't apply to the post office either. If you check out this New York Post article in the federal, I don't know how they're going to pull this one off. The U.S. Postal Service, exempt from the Biden vaccine mandate for federal workers. Steve Nelson. Hey, listen, this is great. If you're the post office, I'm, I'm glad you guys were smart enough to actually fight back. Good for you. I'm not knocking you all. But don't you think Biden's going to have a tough time in court? Sir, is this a compelling government interest? Yes, it's compelling. How come it wasn't compelling enough to apply to the U.S. Postal Service? Ah, uh, eh, I don't know. The mail thing, I don't know. How are they going to get? The answers are not going to be able to get away. This was so poorly designed. Only an imbecile like Joe Biden would have decided to do it. Folks, they know they can't do it. I'm going to get through these videos next. I got your questions coming up too. Some good ones this week. I really appreciate it. Now, I said in the beginning of this segment that the Biden administration knows full well they can't do this. But remember what I said the other day. Tyrants and totalitarians love subjectivity. They don't like objective rights. Objective rights can't be taken away, right? It's objective. It's not open to your subjective interpretation. If I have the right to assemble and bear arms and that's granted to me by God because I believe in God-given rights, the government can't take it away. Obviously, tyrants hate that because tyrants like to take away everything and they don't want God in the way. That's why they hate religion and the family. Family is a source of objective values. They don't like competition. They know they can't do this. And do you see how subjectivity works for them? In other words, subjectivity, the government can change rules on a whim. They change rules on a whim and they don't even care. And no one in the media calls them out. Let's go through these videos one by one. Here's Jen Psaki saying, how these mandates and stuff, ah, don't worry, that's not the role of the federal government. This is an actual quote. Check this out. She's hit a brick wall with trying to convince people to get vaccinated. Mm-hmm. Is that a sign that perhaps the federal government should step in and issue mandates? And if not, are you putting the needs of unvaccinated people ahead of the needs of vaccinated people? I think the question here, one, that's not the role of the federal government. Um, That is the role that institutions, private sector entities uh, and others may take. That certainly is appropriate. Also, local communities uh, are going to take steps they need to take uh, in order to protect people in their community. They just said this just a little while ago. Oh, that's not the role of the federal government. Again, when you are a subjective tyrant, and you want to change the rules on a whim because you don't believe in objective God-given rights like sovereignty over your own body, it doesn't matter. You say one thing one day, and you subjectively reinterpret it the next day and go, oh, we changed our minds. Here, here's Joe Biden himself answering a question by Peter Ducey months ago. I believe this was when he was the president-elect. <laughs> he wouldn't demand vaccine mandates and mask mandates. His words, not mine. Check it out. No, I don't think it should be mandatory. I wouldn't demand to be mandatory, but I would do everything in my power. Just like I don't think masks have to be made mandatory. His words, folks, not mine. Again, tyrants love subjectivity. There is no basis in rights through God, capital G, God for them. The rights will be determined by government and they will change them on a whim if they subjectively change their minds. They don't care. Here's Saki here, again, taking a completely contradictory position when it comes to abortion and the Texas uh, heartbeat bill. It's like, ah, listen, you know, it's not the role of the federal government to dispense medical advice. Wait, wait, come again? 
That's exactly what Joe Biden's doing by enacting medical advice, uh, uh, regulations through OSHA, that everybody get a vaccine. Is it not? Here, here's Saki again. Two completely con- contradictory positions, depending on what the political whim of the day is. Lick your finger, see where the wind is blowing. Check this out. I'm just, we're curious, what advice would the president give to a woman in Texas right now who wants or needs to get an abortion at this point? What the what the president would convey to any woman uh, who is trying to get an abortion, seek an abortion, be able to uh, to employ her constitutional right to uh, to uh, to seek health care and health care that is enshrined and uh, uh, and allowed by federal law. What he would convey to them, uh, I don't think he's going to be giving medical advice. A, that's not the role of any president. So it's not the role of the president of the United States to give medical advice. Again, in her words, I'm not. It's her words. We're not making this up. They don't care. They don't care. I had Michael Knowles on my radio show yesterday. He's spectacular. And he said what Matt Walsh, his colleague at the Daily Wire, said on Tucker Carlson a few weeks ago. It's not a double standard. There's one standard. Tyrants are, tyrants standard is you plebe shut your mouth. We'll do what we want. There's no double standard. There's one standard. Shut your mouth. We'll do what we want. We'll change our minds when we want. That's what tyrants do. Here's Kamala Harris echoing the same thing about women's decisions, that this is all. I didn't play this yet, did I? That was Saki, right? Last. There's so many videos. Yeah. Here's Kamala Harris saying, oh, no, no. Women should have exclusive domain and sovereignty over their own body when it comes to abortion. But definitely not for a vaccine. Definitely not for a vaccine. Check this out. So I want to thank you all for being here today. We are going to have a robust and a candid conversation about what's going on in our country, and in particular what just recently happened in Texas. But I will repeat what I know you all know. The President and I are unequivocal in our support of Roe v. Wade and the constitutionality of Roe v. Wade and the right of women to make decisions for themselves with whomever they choose about their own bodies. Yeah, we mentioned that before. Guy brought up again. They're suing Texas to try to make sure there are more lives terminated in the womb while simultaneously and claiming women have sovereignty over their own bodies. But women don't have sovereignty over their own bodies when it comes to a vaccine mandate. If this makes sense to you, um, you're like a walking bobblehead. I'm really sorry. Here's a Reuters article where the CDC chief, you wonder why nobody just, everybody just disregards these idiots at this point. The CDC, the FDA, people just disregard them completely. Oh, I wonder why. Liberals are like, <laughs> why? They're, they're scientific entities. Really? Here's uh, July 31st, 2021. U.S. CDC, CDC chief, Rochelle Walensky, says there'll be no federal mandate on COVID-19 vaccine. Gee, why do we not trust the CDC and institutions anymore? Hear my podcast from last week? It did big numbers. The one that was titled, uh, Institutions Are Collapsing Everywhere. Gee, I wonder why. Institutions like the CDC and FDA, who used to be respected, now everybody just disregards their garbage. Here, here's the last part of this piece. Summing up the, they can't do this, this vaccine mandate, and they know it. They've said it. Here's the White House Chief of Staff, Ron Klain, actually retweeting an MSNBC host here, noted by another guy, Matthew Hamilton. The MSNBC host tweeted this. OSHA doing this vaccine mandate as an emergency workplace safety rule is the ultimate workaround for the federal government to require vaccinations. 
workaround. It's retweeted by the White House chief of staff. Work around what? The law? As someone else noted in this thread, um, literacy tests and poll taxes were workarounds too to prevent groups of people from voting. There's a reason we don't allow workarounds. And the fact that the White House chief of staff just implicitly endorsed it, it well, explicitly endorsed this by retweeting it, they, I'm telling you, I will be stunned if this survives a court challenge. Stunned. That's the only good news. All right. Let's get to some questions. Uh, before I get to that, though, I just want to cover this because this story's been all over. Um, here was Jen Psaki, by the way, with regards to coronavirus. We'll wrap this up. Her embarrassing defense of Fauci, who was busted again. The Intercept wrote an article about Fauci's role with the uh, NIAD. Uh, in funding gain-of-function and spillover research in coronaviruses. But don't worry. Saki tells Peter Ducey, folks, no worries at all. No, no, no. We didn't fund this specific SARS-CoV-2 virus. It may have been other coronaviruses. Oh, okay. And I'm sure the Chinese were totally honest about that. Check this out. Thank you, Jen. First on COVID origins, you said from that podium that under no circumstance would President Biden ever fire Dr. Fauci. Is that still the case since Fauci told Congress the NIH never funded gain-of-function research for coronaviruses in Wuhan, but documents published by The Intercept suggest that is not true, which would mean that he misled Congress? Well, first, I would say that NIH uh, has uh, refuted uh, that reporting, um, and I would point you to that. But let me give you some highlights of that. Uh, NIH has never approved any research that would make a coronavirus more dangerous to humans. A reminded that there are previous and different coronaviruses than the existing one we're battling. And the body of science produced by this research demonstrates that the bad coronavirus sequences published from that work uh, NIH supported were not uh, COVID, the, the strain, COVID-2 strain. Uh, so what he said was correct. So his job is safe. Correct. So just to be clear, folks, the Chinese published the sequence. And it, that they So we have to trust they published the right thing because they're the Chinese Communist Party. Of course. And of course, they'll be honest if they were doing gain-of-function research on SARS-CoV-2. Of course. Yeah. But don't worry, because what they published differs slightly from this other coronavirus where they were working on gain-of-function spillover research. It's no big deal. In other words, these people are disgusting. Peppermint is a joke. Please preserve some semblance of human dignity and resign tomorrow. Peppermint Patty, she cannot, she just can't stop lying. It's embarrassing at this point. No, no, we only functioned, we only funded deadly viral research on a similar coronavirus because the Chinese said so. Oh, okay, I'm sorry, my bad. All right, time for Ask Dan. These are what came in on Rumble this week. And you need to watch the show on Rumble today, please, because the end, you're really going to like. Can't say that enough. First questions from uh, Bubba Fett 23 Must be a Star Wars guy. Using Don Mattingly's number at the end, 23, whether he knows that or not. Stan, I have a non-political question. I'm a college student right now. I don't have the means to get good firearms training. What do you recommend I do until I can afford trading? Dry fire or live fire on the range? Listen, I... This is a tough one. I mean, if you can't afford it, live fire can get expensive. But I can tell you this, dry firing, in other words, making sure you have a safely, safely, safely unloaded weapon, check it, check it twice, 
always, always practice in a safe direction. But having said that, with the mandatory disclaimers, I take firearm safety very seriously. Uh, yes, dry firing can help. I recommend you get one of those blue guns. You know the blue guns? They're firearms with no firing pins, and they're painted a different color, so they can't possibly fire around. You can get one of those. Oh, those are great. You can practice your dry firing. Dry firing, of course, is depressing the trigger on a safely unloaded weapon. There's no round in it. Well, you're like, Dan, if we're not firing the rounds, so what's the point? Well, we do that in the Secret Service and the NYPD dry firing a lot because you can practice your grip. You can practice your stance, your sight alignment, sight picture, your draw. You can practice all of that. So, yeah, dry firing is great. And really, you've got to get used to acquiring that sight picture right away. You can draw. you got to draw it. 1,000, 10,000 times before you get super proficient at getting that sight picture. You could do that with a, with a blue gun. With, yeah, I mean, we have iTarget as well. Um, iTarget will do that for you. It's a laser round. They're the sponsor of the show. All right, question number two. It's a good one. It's about Social Security. Uh, Dan, heard in your show about how Social Security is going broke. Turned 50 this year. I know retirement was up to me, and I've been saving ever since. My question is, what are we supposed to do since Biden is tanking the economy and the dollar is going to be worthless soon? What should we do to maintain the value in our retirement funds? Well, listen, assets, folks. I mean, that's what I do. I mean, all I can tell you is what I do. I'm not a financial advisor, but I can tell you what I do. I know finance. I've studied finance. It's what I do. Um, yeah, you have to get out. I, I, I buy assets, everything. You, you laugh, but jewelry, comic books, Anything I think I can sell later, I buy. Of course, diversify. You want stocks and bonds. I mean, that's pretty standard advice. Uh, also, property. I invest in property, too. That's where I put my money. I, I'm, these are things, I mean, they're real. These things are real, tangible things. It's not just paper money. So that's what I would do. Don't, don't laugh. I know you're probably laughing, like comic books. Really? You invested in a uh, daredevil number one 20 years ago. You got like a 1,000% return on that thing. So jewelry, I mean, jewelry that you can, you know, not, not garbage stuff, but stuff you think you could sell later. Property, property t tends to do very well. That's what I do. Again, that's just for me. I don't, you know, you asked me, it's called Ask Dan. So I'm giving you my answer. All right. Question number three it says, uh, my question is, as a student of a higher institution of learning, how do we deal with professors who want to indoctrinate students? Most people I ask uh, this question say, I should just do what they ask and move on. But I feel morally torn on this because I know I have to fake my feelings when doing my work. What's your advice? What would you do personally? Well, what would I do? I would give them the double barrel finger. I would resist and I would speak the truth. I'm sorry. You want the easy answer? I'm not going to give it to you. You want the right answer? I'm going to give it to you. And I think you're looking for the right one. Resist. If they take it out on you because of your political beliefs, expose them on social media. Tell everyone in your school about it. Make sure you review those professors on rate my professor or whatever it is. You have tools to fight back. Go to the dean, go to the school and demand that your grade be changed if you feel like it was uh, due, to uh, due to political influence and not the quality of the work. You have means to fight back. I'm not, uh, I'm not trying to be condescending, but this is from, uh, uh, from, a, from obviously a young man. But you have the tools to fight back. You just got to want to take them. The easy answer here is, yeah, just do what they say and write the piece about how communism is great. But know this, once you write that piece and you sign your name to it, you can never take that back. I'm sorry, but the fact that you sold out is going to stick with you forever. It's not the easy answer, but it's the right one. 
All right, here's a lighter one. Last one. Uh, Dan, thanks for the service you provide to us, Patriots. You're welcome. The Obama era sparked a fire within me about rights and freedoms, and I want to get involved. Many have told me I have a deep voice for radio, but I have no idea how to get started. How did you get your start? <laughs> Joe, Joe, you can help on this one. Yeah. How did I get my start? The first radio interview. You want to know how I met Joe Armacost? What does this have to do with me getting started? Oh. Joe for you newer listeners to the podcast, has been in the terrestrial radio business for decades. Joe was a very famous morning guy for a popular show in one of the biggest media markets in the country, Baltimore, Maryland. Mm -hmm. And Joe was the morning show producer there. So I was running for Senate in Maryland, and my first radio interview was on WCBM, where Joe works. That's where I met Joe 10 years ago. So uh, how did I get my start? Well, Joe was kind enough with me to put in a good word, and I started doing some guest hosting there, and then some guest hosting at WMAL, which is a Washington, D.C. station we're on now. We're on CBM, too, by the way. We're just on at different times with our radio show now. And uh, that's how it blew up. And then luckily, just kind of a side note, one of the guys at a station, let's say, I don't want to give up who it is, thought I was particularly good at radio. He wound up becoming a high-level executive with the company I'm with now. And uh, it was like, uh, I think when the national host thing came up after the untimely and horrible uh, death of, uh, you know, the king, Rush Limbaugh, my name came up. And that's how, that's how it happened. So I hope that answers your story. Um, okay, uh, let's see. Can we play the video? No, let's get to this. We got to time here. I got a very important email this morning from uh, Dan Gaynor, who is, uh, just does terrific work. I think he's at the Media Research Center. But he sent this email out. It was a blast email. It wasn't directed specifically at me. But it points to something I've been warning you about for a long time, ladies and gentlemen, that some of the most powerful people right now in America are the fake fact checkers. They, I'm not kidding. They have enormous power to censor and control people, the Soviet Union style. He sent out an email, Dan Gaynor, about this this morning. And I want to read portions about how I want to read portions of this about how powerful these people are. He's talking about the dangers of fact checkers, how, why they do what they do, and how they got where they are. He says, he says, this is the second point. He says the fact checkers are the most powerful people in the media sphere. They literally can shut down any social media account, even Rolling Stone or MSNBC. He says, so if they start enforcing the rules fairly, the fact checkers, or even a bit fairly, the social media pages for top outlets like the Times and the Washington Post will start being restricted. Why? Because the New York Times and the Washington Post lie all the time, folks. That's why. You notice the fact checkers never ban them? Gaynor adds, though, but their friends at these outlets won't just scream to them. They'll scream to the left-wing Pointer Institute. Oh, we've mentioned them before, if you listen to the show, which controls the fact checkers. And they'll scream to Facebook, Twitter, etc. And that threatens the fact-checker gravy train. Fact-checking is a new reality. Journalists created it in an angry response to the evolution of social media. They felt pushed aside as the arbiters of facts. And many of them lost their jobs in the post-2008 collapse of their industry. The fact-checking network is only six years old. And if it goes away, or if they lose their status or funding, it all comes crashing down. And lots of lefty journalists will lose their jobs. It's a grift, folks, but it's a powerful one. It's a powerful grift. They are becoming the most powerful people in the media ecosystem as they lie and protect their friends. 
All right, just a quick note. It's the day before 9-11, and please listen to my show Saturday night unfiltered at 10. Um, it's going to be about as unfiltered as possible. It's going to be live Saturday night, which I know you'll enjoy. And I've got some guests, including a friend of mine, um, hoping he can come on from the Secret Service. We're still checking. He's got the most amazing story about 9-11. It's just an incredible. Please don't miss it. Unfiltered, Saturday night, 10 o'clock. But, um, you know, 9-11, again, I said at the beginning, we don't ever want to go back there, folks. You know, for you younger folks listening, older folks, you've already, you know this, you lived through it, but we don't want to go back there. It's, it wasn't a movie. That was, that, that was one of the most frightening times in my life. I was a young agent back then. We were getting ready to serve an, an arrest warrant that morning, the morning of 9-11, and uh, one of the agent's friends of mine, this guy Tommy, Tommy came running in the, we used to call him Tommy Hooks. Tommy, because he knew everyone. He was, he was hooked up. And he came running in the room and he said, I was just on the phone with the New York field office. Our New York field office was, uh, was in Seven World Trade Center on the ninth and 10th floor. That's where I started my career. But I was in Long Island that day. And he said, he said a bomb went off. And we ran into my boss's office. My boss was Marty at the time. And we said, Marty, a bomb just went off in the World Trade Center. He said, what? I haven't heard anything. So we flicked on the TV. And if I remember correctly, the view was on. And we were like, the view? There's no way a bomb went off in the World Trade Center. You'd have breaking news or something like that. Remember, there was no Twitter back then. And sure enough, breaking news. And we see the towers. And there was a guy sitting in the office with us, this guy, Paul. He was another agent. Paul was in a, a navigator in the Navy. He was the guy who sits in the back seat of a naval plane and navigates. He wasn't the pilot, but he was a navigator. But he knows a lot about flying. And I'll never forget Paul when we were looking at this breaking news picture, this hole in the building. And Paul's like, you know, that's not a bomb. And then people started to talk about, was it a plane? And Paul, I'll never forget, looked at my boss. He went, that's not a plane. No way. If you remember that day, it was crystal clear. The skies was blue. It wasn't a cloud in the sky. He's like, Dan. I've flown thousands of hours, man. I'm a, literally a navigator. That's what I do. He's like, there's no way a plane hit that by accident. No way. And then just, you know, minutes later, the other plane hits. We're like, collectively, holy, everybody just at the same time. So we grabbed all our stuff. We rushed into the John F. Kennedy Airport office in Queens, which was closer to the city. We were in Melville, Long Island. You know, and we sat there all day because it was the UN. The UN was going on, the United Nations at the time, which, what does, that, what does that mean for the story? Well, we have to protect all these foreign dignitaries that come to town. So the United Nations General Assembly was going on. So there were probably 1,000, 500 to 1,000 Secret Service agents in hotel rooms in Manhattan protecting foreign digs, dignitaries. And uh, we couldn't find them. I mean, there were, we didn't have cell phones. Well, cell phones were around, but the Secret Service didn't, didn't issue them. We had two-way pagers. So we'd be paging people, and then cell networks were totally shut down. You, you, you basically couldn't make a call. You had to just keep trying and trying and trying. Even the two-way pagers were acting funny. And sure enough, we were at the JFK office in a conference room watching all this going on, and uh, we would go through name and name and name. Oh, we found this guy. You know, here's Chris, here's John. And we got through, I mean, gosh, I mean, of all, it took forever. And by, I don't know, one or two in the morning, there were two names left on the list, right? And we thought, you know, they're dead. They must have died. 
And it was just, we were just sitting there like devastated because one of them worked in the Melville office with me, this guy, Kevin. Yeah, he's a white hair. He's called him the skunk as a joke. He didn't smell bad. He has a piece of white hair. They call him the skunk as a joke, right? And I was like, I can't believe it. Like Kevin's dead. Like it really hit me. And then like 20 minutes later, Kevin called. Turns out he was in Nigeria. He was in Nigeria doing a criminal case in Lagos. And I was like, oh, Kevin, thank God. I've never been so happy to hear your voice. He, he just heard what happened. And keep in mind, this is like almost, you know, 18 hours after the, the first plane struck. But the last name, yeah, they didn't, uh, they didn't make it. They think they don't know what happened to him. They think he was on the plaza rendering aid. But uh, yeah, he didn't make it. So it was a tough day for everyone. And it just reminds me of, you know, everybody around the world hates what we stand for, for freedom and liberty. You know, the, the touchable, tangible kind. The freedom to have sovereignty over your own body, sovereignty over your own money, sovereignty over your kids' education, sovereignty over your healthcare decisions, sovereignty over your property. Like, that matters. And people around the world hate that. Tyrants, Islamic radicals, they hate that. That's why this fight now, you know, matters so much. And I saw this on Gina Carano's social media feed. She pulled it from a TikTok account, a Red Pill Latino. That's uh. But this is pretty amazing. I want you to watch this. Please watch it on Rumble, folks. Please, I'm begging you. to Just you fast forward to the end. You don't have to obviously watch the whole show. You listen on audio. But for those on audio, this is just about 30 seconds of it. It's actually over a minute and a half. And what you'll hear is a soundtrack. And what you'll see on the screen is, oh, don't worry. It's just, it's just a school mandate. Oh, don't worry. It's just a mask. Oh, don't worry. It's just 15 days. Oh, don't worry. It's just three months. Oh, don't worry. It's just two years. Don't worry, it's just a vaccine mandate. Oh, don't worry, it's just your church. Oh, don't. It's not just anything, it's freedom. And once you go down this dangerous path, there's no coming back. Take a look at this. Again, that's just 30 seconds. That goes on for a minute and a half. Powerful stuff. It's not just 15 days to slow the spread. It's not just a vaccine mandate. It's not just keeping your kid in a mask. It's not just comply today and things will be good tomorrow. It's freedom. Freedom and liberty matter. It's not just anything. It's everything. I'm Dan Bongino. I'll see you all on Monday. You just heard Dan Bongino.